Welcome to the Wealth Wisdom Podcast. This is being recorded on June 22nd, 2022. I'm your host, John Lawson, Senior Wealth Advisor at Asante Capital Management and Sauna Family Office. Today on Wealth Wisdom Podcast, we have backed by popular demand, Drummond Brodeur. He's the Senior Vice President and Global Strategist for CI Global Asset Management. He's here to shed some light on just what caused those sharp gyrations in the market last week. And then looking forward, what does he expect to go on with the markets? We'll even touch on mortgage rates in Canadian dollar versus the US dollar, as those are always top of mind for clients. All right, welcome Drummond and thanks again for being here. Um, It's been, uh, what what should we say, an interesting uh, week or so. And by the time this uh, comes out, uh, it'll be a few weeks gone by. Can you just start with telling us, uh, where are we? Or or, or maybe even better than that, where were we? That's that's, that's a great way of putting it, John, because as I say, the the, the last week, which was when uh, the the Fed, the U.S. Federal Reserve, uh, the Central Bank of the U.S., uh, they changed their their messaging and tone uh, and their path for monetary policy for interest rates going forward in what I think was a relative material way. Um, So that's what, as I say, where we're coming from. So if you look at where we were for the first half of this year, uh, coming up into that prior week, uh, we were in an era where we came into 2022 um, with an economy in the U.S. I'm talking mostly in the U.S., but Canada is 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 90% similar in terms of the dynamics and uh, and uh, and the outcomes and implications. Uh, but from a global investment perspective, it's the U.S. that really uh, drives the world economy. So within the U.S., you came in off an economy that last year, uh, with a reopening of the pandemic coming through, was growing at about five and a half percent growth rate, which is just off the charts fast in terms of the speed bouncing out of uh, out of the uh, the downturn, uh, and a lot faster than people had expected in terms of a recovery from that pandemic shutdown. Uh, unemployment was heading on its way down below four percent, um, and inflation was starting to pick up and has continued to pick up. So even inflationary pressures, and we'll talk about some of what's driving that. Uh, but so I had this incredibly robust economy, strong economy, strong great market, inflation picking up, yet interest rates, monetary policy, were still set at zero uh, in terms of like, you know, most, uh, uh, you know, right, that pandemic setting, maximum looseness, zero interest rates, which is totally inappropriate with the speed at which the economy recovered. And so that recognition at late 2021 was that interest rates had to normalize in conjunction with an economy that was doing much better than had been anticipated. And normal interest rates or a neutral level of interest rates, John, it's a level of interest rates. It's considered about two and a half percent right now by the Fed. And it's a level of interest rates that is neither providing stimulus into the economy, nor is it really providing a lot of pressure to slow down the economy. So it's a kind of a normal interest rates where interest rates should be if everything was kind of working, working fine. So zero, we're way below where they need to get to. And in November, the Fed started to guide markets saying we have to raise interest rates um, from uh, this zero base and start getting back to neutral. And from November of last year, right through into May, beginning of May of this year, the Federal Reserve kept on increasing the tempo, saying we have to increase the speed at which we get to normal. So instead of going sort of uh, 25 basis points or a quarter percentage point 
move at each meeting. We're going to, and starting mid-year, we're going to pull the time we start forward. We're going to start going 50 basis points or half a point each time. And they essentially guided this, the bond market to a point where we were in May that said, hey, we are going to get to neutral around two and a half percent by the end of the year. Okay, we'll be raising interest rates at a fast, a fast pace of about half a point a meeting um, at a pace that allows the economy to adjust to rising interest rates uh, and gives us time to see how that impact of rising interest rates does in terms of, because it will slow down the economy, it will have headwind pressures. And there's a lot of factors that are driving both inflation and the growth drivers of the economy. We're gonna be fading this year anyway. So the economy is gonna be slowing, inflation will be peaking and rolling over in the back half of this year. And then the Fed was trying to normalize interest rates. So their job was really tough coming in, trying to normalize rates into a slowing economy. Um, but as of May, they kind of got there. At the late April, beginning of May, bond markets had moved up. So basically bond uh, yields or interest rates in the US government bonds traded between two and a half and 3% uh, from the two year to the 10 year range, which is consistent with, as I say, the Fed getting that overnight rate back up into the two to nine percent range end of year uh, to a neutral level and so you really and that pace is still one of the fastest paces of tightening we've seen in decades okay so markets have digested that and when we came into this year the first sell off the market and look, people it's been a tough start to the year uh, but to give some context it wasn't totally unexpected because we knew this price increase had to take place okay and we wrote about it at the beginning of the year that we had to normalize and higher interest rates will mean uh, lower equity prices, um, and so there we, are, you know, a lot of funds we've gotten more defensively positioned to reflect that. So it wasn't totally unexpected, um, but the pace at which it happened and has unfolded went much faster and further than expected. So we expect that three percent interest rate level, for instance, that we got to in uh, uh, at the end of April, early May. We thought that we'd get there by the end of the year. So it happened in a very fast pace. And that's part of the reason why the sort of the market behavior has been a lot worse. And if you think it's been a tough year, just put a couple of you know, little factoids that don't mean much out there, but that, you know, there are good stories. I mean, this has been one of the worst starts for the S&P 500, you know, since the 1930s. Okay. It is that bad. And if you look at the bond rates, with, when interest rates go up, bond prices go down. For the U.S. 10-year uh, bond uh, uh, interest rate, and that is kind of one of the benchmark rates which all global asset prices are really priced. It is one of the most liquid, most important financial markets out there. But for the US 10 year bond market, this is the worst start to the year since 1788. Okay, that's a long time, okay? But it shows that in the first half, there's been nowhere to hide, John. Bonds, the so-called safe asset were down, equities were down, and it was this renormalization that had, you know, played out faster. So the pain was more significant and upfront. Uh, but in May, a lot of that was priced in. And then we're sort of back in this sort of normalized world. Okay, let's get back to sort of seeing where the fundamentals of the growth of the you know, economy is slowing down, but it's still consistent with a soft landing into 2023. This is the level of interest rates that the economy can withstand. Um, and so we were sort of thinking the market was in the process at that point, starting to find a bottom. Uh, and you would be sort of in a map it out, you'd find a bottom over time and, and ultimately start, uh, you know, growing, probably grinding higher over the, uh, the course of the summer as the data sort of started to sort of roll over, particularly inflation data, and signs that this path towards soft recovery was unfolding. So that was what our base case for the year was coming in. Uh, and although the corrections in the market was, were a little bit uh, sort of uh, more severe than we expected, they were entirely consistent with our base view uh, and our defensive position. And we were saying, hey, where do we start getting 
you know, sort of uh, taking advantage of some of the sell-offs uh, the sell-offs and opportunities in the market. Right. So, and then last week happened. Yeah, I was going to say, so, so what changed? And so what changed was on, on uh, June 10th, on Friday, June 10th, uh, the U.S. inflation data came out for CPI, okay, which is just one measure of inflation. They use many uh, uh, different measures of inflation. CPI is just one of them, uh, and it comprises CPI and core CPI. Um, the, the difference between core CPI and CPI is basic energy and, uh, and food are in CPI, uh, headline CPI, not in core. And the Federal Reserve and central banks will always focus on core because they don't really have any influence or control over energy and food prices, which is why core was developed. So the CPI data came out, uh, as we think now is when inflation should start to sort of be, uh, be peaking and rolling over, because it was almost exactly a year ago that inflation started picking up. So it's worth keeping in mind inflation, it's only been increasing for about 12 months a year. Comparisons to the 1970s and Paul Volcker in 1979, that was after about 15 years of inflation rising. Okay, this is more akin to the mid to late 60s if you want to put the inflationary in place, not to after we've had well over a decade of strong inflation. So just as I say, to keep that those 70s analogies uh, in check a little bit. But right, and Drummond, just to, just to also reiterate for people, inflation measurement is a year over year uh, measurement as well. So you'll naturally, as you roll over, uh, that year. So we were going from a very low point, uh, uh, gradually yeah. getting higher and higher. Uh, and now, of course, we're going to start measuring against the higher inflation marks. Uh, yeah. so and, and exactly. And that's you know one of the things that disinflation, uh, you know, economically we refer to as the base effect. And exactly. And inflation, the 12-month inflation number includes you know 12 months. So as I add, uh, May of 2022, I drop off May of 2021 as you sort of roll through, as you say. So exactly that base effect of what, what was happening a year ago also starts influences that number. And we're starting the fact that it upturned a year ago uh, meant that those base effects are starting to fall off, which will be, as I say, um, I mean, less inflationary pressures because you're comparing against a higher, uh, the, the higher hurdle rate. So the inflation number, and so the the the, the core CPI inflation. Uh, came in at 6%, 6.0. Uh, the previous month had been 6.2. So that notion of peak inflation and coming down very much intact, uh, came down from 6.2 to 6.0. Uh, the market had expected, or the consensus expectation, was it would come down to 5.9. So it didn't, it was higher than expected at 6.0 by 0.1 of a percent. Not a material miss. Uh, at all, uh, but slightly hotter and not a big surprise given what energy prices have done. The headline CPI came up a little bit stronger. Uh, it came in at sort of 8.6. It had expected to be 8.3 uh, and flat on 8.3 the, uh, the month before. So headline definitely was strong, a bit stronger than expected. Uh, and I know from our morning meetings that day from my bond team and economists, they're saying, hey, look, that's no surprise because uh, energy prices during uh, the month of May had spiked up. We've all seen that the gas prices, uh, uh, $2, what are you, are you at $2.50 yet for gas prices in Vancouver? I don't even want to think. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's you know, well over $2 uh, across, across the country. So, all right, yes, hold on. I got to brag. <laughs> for that point, I was lucky enough that 
I bought an EV uh, last year, so I don't honestly even look anymore. <laughs> Good for you, of course. <laughs> uh, yes, and uh, I know what car I drive, so I'm sure she doesn't look either. So um, <laughs> but, can't uh, afford to look. It scares you. <laughs> it does indeed. So we did have those uh, so slightly higher inflationary pressures. Uh, but not out of the realm of, 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 of normal expectations or whatever. But the Fed started to panic um, on the inflation thing. And that's when the Fed started to change. Having worked so hard through to April to get the market to price in uh, and expect a more, more aggressive path to neutral, uh, the Fed started to panic. And on Monday afternoon, the Wall Street Journal, there was an article saying the Fed, instead of going 50 basis points, was going to go 75 basis points. That inflation was out of control. We have to do more. Um, and uh, that article was written by someone who was used by the Fed to um, communicate when they're in blackout period. So it was seen as a direct uh, message from the Fed, uh, which is how it was taken and which was correct. Because uh, on uh, Wednesday that week, then they did increase interest rates by 75 basis points instead of 50 and guide to going uh, probably a 75 basis points in July as well. So. They, they basically very uh, doubled down saying, we have to focus on inflation and we are going to tighten monetary policy, raise interest rates at a much faster pace than had been previously priced into the markets and expected. And bond prices, instead of the 10-year trading in the high twos up to around you know, 3%, immediately jumped up to about 3.5%. So the entire yield curve from two years out effectively went up into the 3.5% range. And that to me is where the Fed, as I say, has lost the plot because now we're taking interest rates. So that concept of neutral between two and a half and three means we can go there and the, if it's slow down, the economy is gonna naturally slow down already, okay? And all the, the economy slows down with the lag effect. So moving you know, from coming in the at one and a half percent in December to even uh, you know, 3% by now, that is gonna have a significant slowing effect you know, on the economy, even as I say, if it's around neutral, so it's not, uh, uh, you know, it's not gonna break it. Going further to three and a half percent, which is now the highest bond yields we've had uh, sort of in well over a decade, is a, an aggressive tightening of monetary policy, and it's going to slow down the economy that much more. But what it also does, John, it takes us to neutral and way beyond at a much faster pace. Now, the Fed is telling you we are going to be at neutral uh, interest rates in July. And we're going to start, and then we're going straight beyond. We're going to go right past go. You know, do not collect two hundred dollars. Keep on going, and we're going to be, at, you know, pushing for three and a half percent in uh, in uh, uh, by the end of the year, or three point four percent. Their previous guidance from the Fed itself had been one point eight percent by year end. Okay, now three point four, a dramatic increase in that path, and that is what got me very concerned. That say now, as I say, that path, that soft landing. Uh, and, and discounting these higher interest rates consistent with a slowing economy, but non-recessionary economy is tossed out the window because the Fed has said we are going to go much faster because uh, we have to start focusing on inflation. It's not coming down fast enough. And if that means we have to cause a recession, so be it. If you read between the lines, the Fed is saying right now that they under, they are they're not stupid guys. They understand, but they're saying that it's all about inflation. Uh, and uh, that means, as they say, causing a recession to bring inflation down. And I think that is misguided. Um, and I don't think it, um, I don't think it's going to come fruition. They're not going to get to their targets. Bearing in mind a year ago, they thought there would be one 
increase in 2022. And now they're saying there's going to be like six, 15 increases. So don't think the Fed has the crystal ball, magic crystal ball. But what it means to me for markets and why I'm a little bit more cautious and think it's going to be a bumpier few months uh, to, to for these markets to start bottoming out is because you're tight. Monetary policy works with a lag. Increases, we, as I said, we did in the first half of the year uh, that moved the bond rate up is only going to start showing up in slower data in a couple of quarters. So into the fourth quarter, uh, third quarter, fourth quarter, like into the fall and early next year. OK, so those slowdowns are already baked in the cake. Now, as we're going into the summer, instead of saying, hey, what, let's see what the impact of this tightening already in place is, we're doubling down and tightening twice as fast. OK, and so by the time I get the data that shows me up, things have slowed down a fair bit. They've gone way past, they've accelerated way past neutral. And so even if at that point they pivot and slow down, they're pivoting from a position of being very tight, aggressively tight, which will only have an impact in the economy a couple of quarters down the line. So you're accelerating past the exit. You will not have time. You've, you've given up that opportunity uh, of time to have the data to assess and adjust your, uh, your settings because you've accelerated the pace to the point where you don't have that luxury of being able to adapt as the economy adapts. So that's the concern that I have is that we're gonna see a lot more tightening uh, into what I believe was already gonna be a very much a, a peaking and a rolling over of inflation and a peaking and a slowing down of the economy to a point now that we will see uh, the likelihood of avoiding a recession in 2023 now is pretty small or the odds are much higher we will be in recession. And yeah. so that has now become uh, my base case is that instead of soft landing, uh, we will see a re recession within uh, within uh, in early, by early 2023. Yeah. So essentially where they were tapping on the brakes to slow down the economy, they have slammed on the brakes. Uh, and so they are pushing us to a rapid slowdown, which means that essentially when rates go up, people have less uh, um, money to spend. Uh, because they are spending it on other things. So the discretionary side uh, goes by the wayside. Uh, therefore, businesses uh, don't earn as much. Uh, nope. And uh, the it, it really slows down the overall cycle of uh, money moving around in the economy. It certainly uh, does. And, and the biggest impact, of course, is uh, that everyone can understand is um, into the housing market. And so U.S. US uh, mortgages uh, have effectively doubled. They've gone up to 6% to buy, take out a U.S. mortgage. Now, keep in mind, in the U.S., mortgages are a 30-year mortgage. So when you take out a mortgage in the U.S., you go and get a 30-year mortgage. Um, and instead of getting that mortgage at sort of uh, you know 3% or under 3 was where we were at one point, today it's going to be 6 That significantly impacts the ability for many people to be able to buy a house, particularly given that housing prices are still up you know, 30 40% from pre-pandemic levels. So there's been a huge bump up in housing prices and now your interest cost has doubled. And that just means significant softness into uh, the US housing market. Yeah. Now, and I think you're making an important point here in terms of that hit to consumer discretionary. And it's worth looking into the Canadian market uh, by that same token. So in the US, mortgage rates are up. So new mortgages and housing is gonna get hurt and slow the economy. You're not going to be able to refinance, which is a popular to do when lower rate, rates go lower than what your rate is. You refinance and get some money out or HELOCs, et cetera. But you don't reprice existing mortgages, and that's important to the U.S. In Canada, 
and this is why we're a little bit more concerned about the outlook for the Canadian economy. Of course, Canada, we finance at variable to five-year fixed. And even at five-year fixed, it means roughly 20% of mortgages are refinancing each year. And now those are being refinanced at you know double or more of the rates that they were lower. So the repricing, and if you have a variable rate, you can reprice your mortgage very quickly. So we're going to see a lot of Canadian consumers get hit in the pocketbook on the existing mortgage stock over the uh, over the coming years as, as those mortgages reprice. And as you said, that's just a slowdown and causes uh, you know, a slowing down of the economy. Slower economy is gonna mean, of course, slower, uh, lower inflationary pressures. So that is kind of what they're trying to do. Um, but as I say, and, and it was interesting on the Jay Powell side, who's the, uh, the governor of the Fed, chairman of the Federal Reserve, uh, I listened to his press conference and he was saying that even like a lot of these inflationary pressures, they're being driven by things beyond our control. We can't affect energy prices, food prices, there's a war in Ukraine, et cetera. So all those things are beyond the control of monetary policy. So we're gonna do more anyway. And it just left you a bit of a head scratcher that said, there's a different agenda at play. Um, this is not, it's almost political. It's not just about, hey, uh, inflation is there. Like a lot of those inflationary pressures are not related to monetary policy. They will have their own path which will be starting to roll over in some of the things that you mentioned in terms of the base effects, particularly for energy. Um, but now they've introduced this much tighter policy into the mix that says, hey, yeah, the economy, tougher run ahead from here. So, yes. so, so it just a question to you, if we go back to those mortgage rates uh, on that, the fast acceleration and uh, uh, getting an overshooting on that, um, to me, logically, what that tells me is that uh, you're saying recession 2023, which was not unexpected, but just faster than uh, what expected and probably come a little harder. But that also means that uh, in a Canadian term, because there, we are so variable based on there, you're probably going to see rates come back down. Yeah. Starting in 2023. So absolutely, I'm saying that to you say don't. people who have just listened to this, don't panic. Don't lock into those high five-year rates uh, if you are able to withstand the, yeah. uh, the variability. And that's why you should have been in a variable rate in the beginning. You should have been able to have been talked to about the fact you can withstand some up and downs. Yeah. Don't panic. Key message with your housing, with your investments. Um, yeah, don't panic on any of these dynamics. And to your point, as I say, particularly yeah, if you're looking at mortgages, um, you know, locking in a five-year mortgage made a lot of sense, sub 2%. Um, I don't know where the Canadian mortgages are today, um, but I can look at the uh, at the Canadian sort of five-year uh, interest rate and say it's up uh, now, you know, close to three, uh, you know, almost three and a half percent. So your mortgages are going to be I don't know, like four percent, four and a half percent. It's uh, you know that's uh, probably some of the highest mortgages that we've seen in a decade. Yeah. And to your point, and this is where, as I say, I think it's important. The Fed, as I say, they're forecasting that they're going to be at uh, sort of three point four at the end of the year, and a terminal rate that they're going to take interest rates almost as uh, three point eight percent is what it is, so close to four percent on the overnight rate in twenty twenty three. And I just find that sort of hard to believe that they're going to achieve that. And that's what I said, as I say, a year ago, they expected one basis, one increase of the rates would go to 25 basis points. Now they're saying it's 400. So they, the, the world changes a lot 
over the course of a few months. And if we're correct that we are going to see this slowdown in the economy and in inflation uh, into the fourth quarter of this year. And that is probably now going to be coming once the slowdown starts coming with a little bit more, you know, sort of uh, a little quicker on the slowdown. That's when the Fed's going to have to say, oh, we're not going to get there. And it's interesting that in 2018, the last rate cycle that we were raising interest rates, when interest rates went above 2%, the 2 and a quarter percent in 2018, and the Fed said we're a long way from being towards neutral, and that was their last rate hike they got in because the economy goes over. So we were seeing that the economy's that neutral rate, the economy was responding once rates got to that 2, 2.5% range in the last cycle. And I tend to believe that not that much has changed today from the economy point of view that says as we get uh, rates into that two and a half percent range, which is now going to be in July, not in uh, sort of the fourth quarter, uh, that, that impact in the economy is going to be quicker, which means, as I say, I do expect that we will see a change in tone from the Fed uh, and in terms of their out interest rate outlook or that the bond market will start pricing in a differentiated outlook from what, what they just outlined last week, because I don't think the economy can stand uh, or stay healthy at these rates. And so those changes and that change from the Fed, and it's interesting if you look through the history of recessions and you, you know breaking down, I was looking at some work done, breaking down which recessions were caused by Fed tightening uh, as opposed to sort of exogenous shocks or financial crises. You know, there's different factors that cause recessions, but this is a man-made recession. This is driven by the Fed tightening, okay? And when the Fed, when you see a, a sort of a recession driven by Fed tightening, uh, what happens is um, they do work with a lag, but from a market perspective, A, the recessions tend to be much more mild, okay, because as I say, the, it's, 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 uh, the Fed, as they realize that tightened too far, starts to back off. And when they start to back off, the, as I say, the economy will start to recover, but markets recover before the economy does. And so the timeline I'm looking into the fourth quarter, I think we're going to see evidence that the economy is slowing down. Inflation, we need to see evidence. I mean, Jay Powell used the word compelling evidence that inflation is coming down. Okay. And so where it's going to, it's a higher bar of lower inflation for the Fed to change than where we were two weeks ago, which is why I think it's a bumpier, tougher summer. But once that sort of evidence starts coming in and sometime in the fall and the, and the Fed starts, you know, the Fed is going to have to pivot again to a more uh, sort of uh, um, a, a, a less hawkish stance than they currently outlined. And it's that when that happens or when the market expects that to happen, I expect that you're going to put the bottom into the market. So markets will move in anticipation of it. And that is the history of when the Fed, when the Fed is the cause of the recession and the cause of the bear market, the Fed is also the cause of the bottoming and the recovery. So as I say, 20, early 2023 recession, that's fine. But don't be sitting there, okay, I'll wait for a recession and I'll start, you know, I'll go sit in the sidelines and pile in then because the market, I suspect, will be a good chunk higher at that point in time than we are today. And yeah. so I don't think we've hit the bottoms. I had, a, had hoped we were sort of finding a bottom over the course of the past couple of months, consistent with the previous guidance of the Fed. And so as, as, as data softened over the summer, um, but really that softening would pick up in the fall, but softening over the summer would start be giving enough evidence to markets to sort of probably start finding a bottom. And a bottom in an equity market is a process, John. Okay, if you go back pre-global financial crisis, bear markets, uh, and they always played out where it's like stuck in the mud. It just wears on you. They drag on, they go on, they eventually run out of steam uh, and they and start to grind higher. 
as opposed to the past decade where we've had a lot of sort of V-shaped recoveries, massive liquidity injections. So the past sort of rapid, you know, drawdown liquidity events and, and bumps up were not the way bear markets used to play out uh, in uh, in uh, the earlier years, at least of my uh, my career. It was more of this kind of grinding wears down on you. And I, I always expect that we were seeing evidence that that bottoming process was playing out over the course of May and early parts of June. The Fed has reset that bar. Uh, it pushed it out further. So I think it's buckle up. It's going to be a tough more months of grinding side. And markets are just crazy. I mean, they're up 2% one day, 2% the next day. 2%. They're basically, there's not a lot of direction in them. They're directionless. They're sort of bouncing around. Internals are shifting. There's a, there's a lot of the damage has been done. Uh, but we probably have to retest the lows. I think there's a good chance we'll make new lows, retest those, bounce about like it's kind of like bounce along the bottom, yeah. finding that new. It's like a saucer dish. We may not be at the bottom of the saucer, uh, but over the summer we probably get there. And then when the Fed sort of, uh, as I say, when we see the evidence of coming down, Fed blinking in the fourth quarter, I suspect that will start the uh, the uh, the the grind higher uh, going forward. So a lot of it's discounted in the markets. We're probably not out of the woods yet. Um, but the fact that it's, as I say, a man-made or a Fed-made uh, recession means it's also going to ultimately be a Fed-driven recovery as inflation eases and they can back off on the uh, on this commitment to just, hey, it's got to be a focus on inflation. Uh, and bear in mind, inflation is as much a supply side as demand side. We talked about the base effects. The supply side aspects are easing up on supply chain issues, shipping issues, semiconductors, et cetera. We track that. Those are, are coming. On the demand side, a lot of the demand drivers of inflation came from the massive fiscal stimulus in the U.S. that you know, basically $5 trillion transferred. So everyone got checks in the mail. They were stuck at home. And so they just went on to Amazon and bought all sorts of stuff. Okay. And so part of that inflation was huge surge in demand for goods because you couldn't spend on services met with a constrained supply chain for goods. So it really spiked the inflationary of, of goods side of it. Today, well, first of all, no one's getting any more checks. So that's, you know, that tank is running down. Um, now we're shifting from good spending to services. So we're gonna get goods deflation as the supply side of goods eases, demand side of goods is, is coming down, but services inflation is gonna keep picking up as everybody wants to go out to uh, sort of a restaurant, a concert to travel. All of that pent up demand for services will still push services driven inflation, I think, over the course of, uh, of, of the next uh, couple of quarters. So inflation's tricky with a number of moving parts, but now there's a whole bunch of far parts that are starting to be disinflationary. Other parts are still inflationary. The energy thing is it definitely makes it a tougher job. Uh, but on balance, as I say, you know, this pig moves through the Python slowly, but the drivers that have driven those inflation pressure, the peak, those, that impulse has all been removed. So it's really about watching it play out as opposed to that there's more uh, sort of more uh, uh, sort of impulse to force that inflation higher coming on board. And so that's why, as I think, as we look into the fourth quarter and into 2023, that we should be seeing that both slower growth, regardless of what the Fed did, and slower inflationary pressures. And as, as the Fed recognizes that, as they back off, I think that sets a constructive you know, backdrop, which should ultimately be back to a... Uh, you know, a, a, uh, you know, a recovering economy, still slow growth is not going to be booming. It's going to be a shallow recession, shallow recovery, uh, and markets that have repriced and uh, will be starting to look pretty attractive again. Yeah, so in, in a nutshell, what you're saying is uh, we have to remember that markets are forward-looking. 
And so all of this that has been done in, and that's part of what caused the issue with uh, in, in the bond market is markets were forward looking. They had taken the uh, Fed's advice. It was all priced in and then Fed's changed the game. Uh, and so that's what really caught markets by surprise. Now we are uh, uh, pricing all that down pressure in. And as you say, it's not that we expect it, it's going to uh, turn overnight, but we are bumping along. And I like your analogy of a dish there, uh, because I often talk about fact, yeah, we're bumping along the bottom, but is, is this the exact bottom? We just don't know. And you never know until you're looking with hindsight, yep. uh, looking backwards. But I love your point there of, okay, people are calling for recession uh, in 2023. Uh, you've uh, reiterated that it's, it's, it's virtually a given with the path that the uh, Fed has uh, directed us in, but don't jump out and wait until then um, because the, the, the smart people actually buy through these bottoms uh, and don't, don't, ever think that you're going to hit the the very bottom uh, yep. but uh, average in uh, pick up the uh, these uh, these great deals that are coming through there's all sorts of interesting uh, um, uh, uh, investments that are out there right now uh, assets that are out there that uh, are very compelling for uh, returns going forward so it's as much as we are, and this is why I love having you on, it's the unvarnished truth. Here's the, the, the chaos that has been caused, but there's always opportunity. Yeah. Uh, and so don't throw the baby out with the bathwater in these scenarios. Let's make sure that we're looking for the opportunities and, uh, and, and sticking to the plan. So... I do have a little bit uh, of a, uh, an offshoot question. So obviously with uh, oil and gas going up, um, the, uh, the Canadian dollar tends to respond well to that. Uh, two currencies that uh, my clients are always most interested in is Canadian to the US dollar, Canadian to the British pound. What are your yep. thoughts? Um, yeah, so in the, uh, obviously the Canadian dollar, to the U.S. dollar is the uh, important one. We watch we we watch all the time because we, we we run global. Uh, well, watch all the currency. My currency guy is, and I speak to him several times a week, uh, including this morning. So on the Canadian dollar, um, we're uh, the Canadian dollar has been range trading, um, and it's sort of been stuck in a range for for uh, um, you know quite some time. And I'll put it in the. Uh, the, the upside down path, the way that uh, if you look at it, so it's basically kind of 76 to 80 cents is where we've been trading around in that range for a while. Um, and our base case now is that we probably are going to stick around in that range for a while. Um, and if there's a risk to that, it's going to be a risk to the downside. Okay. And the risk to the downside uh, comes from the fact that it's, it's both Canada and the U.S. Uh, the U.S. dollar is the strongest currency basically on the planet of the major currencies right now. Uh, it's been very strong, certainly versus the Euro, the pound versus the, uh, the, the Japanese yen, et cetera. And the Canadian dollar is more or less gone along with it. So our dollar is strong on the global side of things. Um, but even though against the US dollar has been weak, but against the US as I said, our interest rate differentials were interest rates in the UK are trading 
through the U.S. right now, so we have higher interest rates. Uh, but we believe we have an economy that's more vulnerable to slow down from higher interest rates. And so we think that gap on the interest rate differential between Canada and the U.S. is, 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 is likely to close. Um, and that would, as I say, could see some of that downward pressure back into that sort of 74, 76 range that we were in kind of prior uh, to, uh, to, the, uh, to the pandemic. Um, so it's like Canadian dollar for now still in this range, but it's been a wacky dollar too, John, over the past, uh, uh, the past few months, just sort of shit, you know, going from the top of it range to the bottom in very short order, if you will, uh, so that volatility. So we're right now we're at the bottom of it. We think it holds and kind of in this range, but if there's going to be a break, it's going to be to the the, uh, the downside on uh, on that one. Uh, in terms of the uh, the pound, I'd have to uh, um, sort of look specifically the uh, the um, well, against the CAD. Who knows? Um, but this, uh, the the uh, Europe uh, and the UK they got problems, um, as, uh, as 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 you are aware, uh, and so some of those problems in the uh, uh, in the UK have been uh, have been sort of self-inflicted, um, and uh, uh, they also have inflationary problems. Their inflation data came out today at nine, at, uh, I think it was nine percent or so on the headline number. Um, but as I say, the, the the effects of Brexit are still kind of working through there, hurting their competitiveness on uh, on the uh, on the UK side. So um, I don't have a great view on the UK versus uh, versus the CAD. Um, the UK is sort of you know sitting down right at uh, 122, so it's right at the low ranges. So it's um, probably stays holds those ranges, but I can't give you a really compelling. Yep, that's fine. View. I I so, appreciate that. The sad thing about the about the pound, John, is because it used to be one of the major currencies that we really pay attention. Kind of doesn't matter as much anymore. Yeah, it's yeah. it's sort of a bit on the UK side. We pay a lot more attention to the euro today, uh, and even the yen, surprisingly. Um, or at least I do as a macro generalist. So, okay. so and, sorry, but I'm not going to be more specific on that one. No, that's that that's great. Uh, so just just to wrap up, uh, you did mention it in the beginning. Uh, about a month ago, you wrote this piece uh, uh, with uh, five key messages. Um, do they still apply? Uh, they they do, John, and they capture what we started off with of the where we were, what we're doing, our base view up until last week. But some of those messages. And I think the most important one remains, um, like, don't panic. Markets do this. They go up and they go down. This correction has not been unanticipated, okay? We expected a correction this year. Magnitude and speed, as I said, definitely worse than expected. But nothing really here has broken that. I mean, the Fed has prolonged it and made it a bit more severe than it had to be. Uh, but we're still in that basic thing of, uh, look, this is a market correction. We're coming off spectacular returns. I know one of the funds I manage is a, a broad multi-asset uh, sort of global fund um, that did, I mean, it was up 15% last year. That is something that we would expect to sort of annualize at sort of, uh, you know, that 6 to 7% range. Uh, we've beat that over the past decade or so. Um, but we're, this takes us back down. I was looking at the end of May. We're back down to now. You know, seven percent over like the past uh, the past three years. So it's it's this correction is part payback for the returns that we saw over the past couple of years. But if I look back over that decade and remember, if we're talking, John, about long-term savings that you're planning to sort of retire on or live off in retirement, what are you generating over the next five, 10, 15, 20 years? It's measured in years and decades. 
not what happened today or yesterday. And so making sure you're in strategies commensurate with your sort of, you know, your risk tolerance and your personal needs, but that give you the chance to compound your wealth over time at a rate above inflation is the only way to build wealth over time. And when I look at the long-term returns, as I say, this has taken, you know, very elevated returns over the past three years back down to trend, in, which includes the sell-off we've seen so far this year. So uh, yeah. it's, it's keep that like that long-term, don't mark to market at the peak of everything, what you think your wealth is, is uh, forever, because then every year always, whatever goes down the next day, they're damn. It's a look at that long-term trend. Where do I need to be five, 10, 15 years and can this go? So yeah. I think, and that's part of that don't panic message. Um, and uh, that's, I mean, I think you probably deal with that with your clients every day on, on that, but it's the most important message because there is so much evidence out there that shows when you try to time the market on these things in, in the retail space, your returns are dramatically lower than had you sort of mapped out a sort of a sound plan and stuck with it. So um, that, I, I can't emphasize that more. That's spot on, uh, Drummond. So I, I do, uh, in, in my words, you know, people tend to focus on uh, myoptically in, in uh, uh, times of... Um, uh, well, let me back up and say everything is uh, uh, the, the two emotions that uh, most affect people's investment returns are fear and greed. And okay. when we're in one side or the other of that, and it's not just on the fear side, it's also on the greed, people tend to look very myoptically. And, and they're looking at, as you said, this point in time. And then they extrapolate that. So if it's going up, well, then it's going to go up forever. And it's that FOMO. I, I, I don't want to miss out. And whether that's housing prices, uh, uh, jumping on uh, price of Amazon or Tesla or um, uh, Zoom, uh, yep. uh, it, it, it just doesn't work that way. And I relate that back to my golf score. <laughs> I shoot a birdie on that first hole. I am not shooting 18 under. That is a guarantee. <laughs> so it just bring a little bit of humor and reality back into it. Um, people are inundated uh, right now with sound bites and fear mongering. Uh, yep. And I really appreciate you coming on because your depth of insight helps people understand and reconcile what they're listening to and in turn gives them confidence to stick to their plan because that's the biggest thing. Uh, emotion is the impediment of reaching your goals. Uh, fear and greed are those two main causes that, that, uh, for people to question their plan. And it's our job to help our clients through these times. And, and as, as you've said, um, but I'm known often to repeat, is we've been there before. We'll get through it and we will come out of this very, very well for the long run. No, that's exactly right. And as I say, it's, it's sticking to it. And I'm not trying to fear monger. As I said, it's ups and downs, but it's frustrating, but it's not a time to be fearful. Yeah. So, Drummond, thank you so much uh, for your time. Always appreciate it. Your, uh, uh, your series that we do with you are among the highest rated uh, in our uh, video podcast. So uh, uh, always appreciate you taking the time and uh, coming out and talking to us. Well, thank you. Appreciate doing it. And uh, hope we'll get a chance to, uh, to sort of see you in person over the course of the summer. So that would be outstanding. Looking forward to it. Awesome. 
Our next planned podcast has to do with the added pressure and complexity many people have felt over the last few years. Mental health has finally started to be openly discussed without the stigma that it once carried. We'll talk to Cecilia Manella of Eterna Counseling and Wellness about the top five myths of life and how counseling fits in. We're always looking for unique ways to educate our client families and be introduced to new clients. At Sauna Family Office, we help business owners and affluent families navigate the complexities of wealth through a variety of wealth management and family enterprise oversight services. Ultimately, our goal is to educate and engage you, our audience. If you have any topics you would like to dive deeper into, please let us know. And if you could take a minute to post a review, it would be much appreciated. If you'd like to have access to other videos, podcasts, or articles we have done, visit us at saunafamilyoffice.com. And for those of you who don't know the origin of the name Sauna Family Office, it stems from the meaning of Asante, which is Swahili for thank you. However, the most commonly spoken phrase in Swahili regarding Asante is Asante Sauna. It means thank you very much. The name represents our gratitude towards all the family and business owners who have chosen our team as their trusted advisory council. Until next time, Asante Sana. Hi, I'm Trevor Beggs from Sana Family Office, and thanks for listening to John Lawson and the Wealth Wisdom Podcast. Here are the necessary disclosures. Asante Capital Management is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. This material is provided for general information and is subject to change without notice. Every effort has been made to compile this material from reliable sources. However, no warranty can be made as to its accuracy or completeness. Before acting on any of the above, please make sure to see a professional advisor for individual financial advice based on your personal circumstances. The opinions expressed here are not necessarily those of Asante Capital Management. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Wealth Wisdom Podcast.